This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Hi, how you doing? Good. Can I get for you? We have come to a restaurant in North Denver that specializes in tamales and New Mexican food. Stacked ground beef, enchiladas, yeah. onion. Of course, yeah. All right. We're not here to eat, but to give you food for thought this election year, because this restaurant, Tamales by La Casita, is hosting a group of politically active Latinas. They gather weekly in the morning for a cafecito, a chance to network and socialize over coffee and generous plates of food. Paula Sandoval owns the place. It was actually my late husband who used to make tamales with his mother, and all the recipes here are actually his. I think the reason that I wanted to continue the business after he passed away was because I considered this part of his legacy. The women who gathered last Friday at Sandoval's restaurant are mostly Democrats, although the group's not explicitly partisan. We asked them to focus on the election. These are by and large professionals from healthcare, communications, law. Some are directly involved in politics. In fact, the founder of the Cafecito, which started 25 years ago, now works for Senator Michael Bennett. The Latino vote in Colorado is a major focus for CPR News this election. And this visit follows on a conversation from last fall with a group of conservatives. I asked the 20 or so women gathered at a long series of tables if there are any first-time voters here. Okay, let me have you guys both introduce yourselves on mic in that case. Okay, well, my name is Yaya Lander. I am, I, I am originally from Caracas, Venezuela. Uh, we moved to Colorado some years ago because of the situation in my country. I feel very privileged to be able to vote in a, in a democracy country, so I am very happy and excited about it. And who are you voting for for president, ah, if you don't course. mind saying? <laughs> for Hillary. For Hillary. <laughs> I don't have any doubt. And you say, of course. Why, of, of course? Of course, because for her, it's like a continuation of the Obama politics. And you raised your hand as well. Yes. Hello, my name is Leslie Leon. I am originally from Peru, and I became a citizen a couple of years ago, and it's very meaningful for me to be voting. I consider it to be a right and a responsibility, and I'm very, very, I feel very privileged to be voting in this election in this country, in my new home. And who will you be voting for? I'm voting for Hillary Clinton. And why? Her plans, her political plans are very aligned with my values. I consider myself a liberal, a Democrat, and I very much support Hillary. That's why. Is there a value at the top of the list that you, that aligns with her? I believe that uh, she's a perfect blend of how to run um, what we consider in America a good economy, and at the same time keeping in mind the access for everybody else, for all the different segments that make this great country. What brought you to the United States? I met a Colorado who uh, was a member of the NRA, who has been in the military, and who's probably be voting for Trump, actually. How is that working out in your home? Oh, well, Rosemary told me that I will be needing a divorce lawyer. <laughs> Rosemary, who organizes the cafecito. Yes, exactly. And is, is he Latino? No, not at all. He is second American generation from Swedish families. But a divorce is not truly in the cards. Not yet. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how when election time comes. Do you understand him and why he's voting? I think some of the uh, probably because of his military background and 
I don't never sure if he's saying it as a joke, you know. <laughs> but sometimes he does say, What if we let the Republican Party have what they want, controlled of everything? Let's see what they do in four years and if everything is completely gone to hell, maybe they won't have anybody else to blame. But that is a very simplistic way, in my opinion, to try to make a point because the damage that is done in four years can take generations to reverse. Do you guys talk about Trump's view of Latinos? Of course, you know, especially when um, one of the first statements from Mr. Trump was that we were all gangs and rapists and, you know, criminals. My husband would say, you know, he's just trying to attract attention by saying outrageous uh, things. And, you know, growing up in Peru, we knew who the Mr. Donald Trump was. My mom, I remember saying, you know, well, you look at, and there was even a book, I think, that mentioned him and said, look, what a... In America, you can you can make anything. You can do anything. Look at this man. Look at all this money he has. And then for him to come out and said and put us all in the same bag, that we are rapists and criminals, I think that Mr. Trump needs to probably take a walk outside of Fifth Avenue and see actually what Latinos have done and still do in this country. That is Leslie Leon, who lives in Denver. A point of clarification, Trump's comment about immigrants bringing drugs, crime, and being rapists was in the context of Mexicans coming to the U.S. He added, and some, I assume, are good people. We're speaking with a group of Latinas who meet regularly over breakfast. They gathered at La Casita, a tamale shop in North Denver last Friday, to discuss the presidential election. Most say they'll vote for presumptive Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton. And in fact, when I asked if anyone was considering supporting Trump, this is the reaction I got. <laughs> and those aren't all Democrats laughing, which I found out when I asked this. Anyone not planning to vote? Those are bad words at this table. I think that there are more people this year that are contemplating not voting because it's either Hillary or Trump. Melissa Gonzalez is an insurance agent. She says she's lived in this North Denver neighborhood for 45 years. I honestly, I'm a Republican, but I don't believe in all of the social issues. Um, That's the part that I lean more towards democratic ways. But for defense and um, economics and financial stuff, I've always been Republican. And I really think there needs to be more regulation on government spending and different things like that. But... For the first time ever, I just don't like either choice. I would never vote for Trump because of what he stands for. And he does say a lot of stuff, and I think some things are misinterpreted, but just the way that he handles his own business and who he chooses to hire and certain things like that, it's just a really hard time. And I am really torn more this year than I've ever been before. And so would you consider a third-party candidate? I would if there were any other candidates that I was happy with. Um, and I can't be swayed, you know, to vote for Hillary. So it's either don't vote at all or vote for Trump, which I wouldn't do. So this year I'm kind of just maybe going to step back. If you didn't vote this year, would it be the first time in a long yes. time? Yes, a very long time. I'm very set in my ways. I know what I like. I know who I want to vote for. I am researched. I'm strongly into researching everything that I do in my life. So this is just one thing that is really just weighing heavy on my heart. Gonzalez's ambivalence puts her in the minority in this room. Several of the women say they've known all along they'd vote for Clinton. 
others supported Senator Bernie Sanders and now back Clinton. We'll talk with them shortly. First, more from the Clinton voters. I'm Polly Baca, and I'm a former state senator, consulting now, semi-retired. I live in Denver. And you're a delegate for Hillary Clinton this year to the Democratic National Convention. Yes. I actually met Hillary in 1972 when she was a college student. She and Bill went down to Texas. I was working for the Democratic National Committee. She and Bill were doing uh, registering Hispanics to vote for George McGovern. She was obviously a very pro-progressive issues and supportive of the Latino community. A, a dear friend of mine was Marion Wright Edelman, who had started the Children's Defense Fund. And what impressed me the most was later on, Hillary graduated from Yale Law School, and she could have gone to work for any major law firm in the country. You know, she could have made six figures. But instead, what she chose to do is she called Miriam, and she said, Miriam, I want to come help you start the Children's Defense Fund. Hillary then became a member of the Children's uh, Defense Fund board and served as its board chair till she became first lady. She has always supported women and families and children and minorities. And yet Hillary Clinton has been criticized for some policies during her husband's administration which led to increases in incarceration rates for black and Latino people and cuts to welfare. She's also taken a hard line against children coming from Central America. Do any of those critiques resonate with you, Polly Bob? She wasn't the president at that time. That was Bill's presidency. She gets blamed for all of Bill's, uh, you know, I mean, there are a couple of things that happened during that time that I disagreed with, too. But she's, you know, she was the first lady. But she, she was instrumental in many ways she in building a health care plan. She was very influential. She was very influential. She was responsible for the development of the children's, you know, for CHIP. Without Hillary, we would never have a children's health insurance program. But don't blame her for things that she had no relationship to, you know. Anyone else want to say why they're supporting Hillary Clinton? Lisa Flores. I live in Denver, Colorado, and I am a school board member for Denver Public Schools. I have felt that the Republican nominee doesn't necessarily have that policy background or foundation. I very much was interested in actually his education, you know, policy and what he was putting forward. And I didn't see that Trump really had anything to offer. And as a matter of fact, his default was to talk about how he was going to get rid of Common Core without an actual understanding that that is not a federal platform or policy, that that has been developed and adopted on on a state-by-state basis. So in terms of promoting local control, he actually had no idea of what what he was talking about or proposing. Common Core are a set of academic standards that uh, many states have adopted and many states were instrumental in creating. Right. So that's one. I would say, too, in terms of environmental policies, really grateful for Hillary's platform and stance and being much more progressive and thinking about the challenge, the negative consequences that we are all facing because of climate change. And in contrast, again, seeing that Trump is actually, you know, supporting further development of fossil fuels. I want to ask you about the environment. It seems that there is an awakening on the Democratic side this year that Latinos care about the environment. Apparently... That is not an awakening. That's a historical fact. I mean, culturally, we are people of the earth and we honor Mother Earth. What's your name? My name is Virginia Ortiz. And Virginia, where do you live? I live in Arvada. And what do you do? 
I am the Vice President of Development and Marketing and Community Outreach for Rocky Mountain Youth Clinics. So there's increasing polling that shows Latinos care about the environment. So if there is an awakening, it it may be among political operatives. Um, But do you think that the Latino vote in some ways gets pigeonholed? Like, this is a community that cares about immigration. Yeah, I think we do. And historically, that is also a fact, that we are typecast. The truth is, is that we align ourselves with many issues the way that the rest of the world does. And so the beauty about our, uh, of our community is that we can come together on those things that matter. And those things that affect our community, our people, our children, our families, are the things that matter most to us. And we have first-generation Americans here today. We are indigenous to this country, to the United States, to Colorado. My people are historically from San Luis and New Mexico, and Mexicanos are indigenous people to the U.S. Right. I was going to say we have some first-generation and some long-time Long Coloradans. Long-time, forever. 14th generation, says yeah, Pali Baca. Well, the founder of this cafecito, uh, who... I guess started this about 25 years ago. We're, we're at a North Denver tamale restaurant where this group of Latina women sometimes meets. And um, introduce yourself. Rosemary Rodriguez. And uh, yeah, we've been do- gathering for about 25 years. And I-, I like to say that it's cheaper for me than therapy because uh, there's so much health and good energy in this group. I'm a native of Denver. I'm on the school board right now. I used to be on Denver City Council. And you work for Senator Michael Bennett? Yes, I'm the state director. But there's one woman who isn't here today who told me she was going to be here, and she was Bernie Sanders' state director. And so I I want to tell one little story that she frequently tells because she's not here. She was born in Mexico, and she used to work in her grandmother's store as a child. And she talked about the environmentalism that she learned from her grandmother in the way that you didn't throw away any scrap of paper. She says that her grandmother had a nail behind the cash register and any bit of paper that was left over from an envelope or a bit of wrapping paper, they would push on this nail. And she talked about her environmentalism as something she learned as a child. What's interesting is that what you described there is environmentalism as a form of conservatism, that you conserve what you have, right. that you are not wasteful. In, it's a cultural, could be a result of being low income maybe, but it's very, very ingrained in all of us at a whole variety of levels. That is Rosemary Rodriguez of Denver, founder of the Cafecito, this gathering of Latina professionals on Friday mornings. More about Senator Bernie Sanders' ideas after a break, and what each woman says is her top issue this election. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. You're back with Colorado Matters. I'm Ryan Warner. Let's return to my conversation with a group of mostly left-leaning Latinas at a North Denver tamale restaurant. Latinos are a fast-growing portion of Colorado's electorate and are a major focus for CPR News this year. We spoke with a group of Latino conservatives in the fall. Most of the women we met at the Cafecito, this weekly morning gathering, support presumptive Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton. But some started out in Bernie Sanders' camp, as we'll hear. First, I asked the women to each name the most important issue for them this election. Denise Maez. 
I have decided that I'm a single-issue voter for this election, and it's all about the Supreme Court, because that really does impact our everyday lives, as we can see by the most recent Supreme Court decisions. Julie Gonzalez, Immigrant Rights. Blanca, at the federal level, immigration. Uh, for me, it's, it's immigration, and the first time, the first thing. As much as I care about education and local politics, I think at the national level, I am driven, one, by environmental slash energy policy, and then also foreign policy. Patty Frederico, and for us, for my family, common sense gun control is really important. My husband is an Iraq War veteran, and we don't want to see military-grade weapons gunning down our citizens over and over again. I have two, the Supreme Court and rational gun control. You know, in Cisneros, and really all kinds of social justice issues, jobs, health care, education, Supreme Court. For me, it's living wage jobs, followed by affordable housing, immigration, and universal health care. Adrian Norris, I'm going to pare it down to education because there's a whole lot of stuff going on right now, but I think the more people understand how things work, the better off we all will be. And I think we're definitely not there as a society. Did anyone here, like the majority of Colorado's caucusing Democrats, support Bernie Sanders? Quite a few hands have gone up. What attracted you to Senator Sanders? I'm Tashina Salas. I'm from Denver, Colorado. I've been in North Denver for my entire life. I'm turning 22 in August. All right. For Bernie, I think he stands for a lot of values that just really speak to the people. And I also think that a lot of people hated his socialism ideas, but they don't realize that socialism is through our entire economy, like Medicare and the military and all that kind of stuff. I just love what he stood for. But obviously, I'm not about to vote for Trump anytime soon. Well, are you going to vote for Hillary Clinton? Yes, I am. And was that a tough decision to come to or an easy one for you? An easy one. I mean, obviously, she's our Democratic candidate. I would never vote for Trump. How can you vote for somebody who stands for racism and sexism and bigotry and but doesn't, doesn't he also stand for something that's outside the traditional system? And isn't that what you were hungry for with Bernie exactly, Sanders? Exactly. And so, I mean, I'm hungry for that, but not in that way. I understand you came with your mom, Marlene, and she is a diehard Hillary supporter. Yeah. And did you guys have a lot of back and forth over Hillary versus Bernie? Uh, when we went to caucus, she said, I'm sorry, Mom, but I'm over here on this side. I think she was a little surprised that I was going for Bernie because we hadn't really talked about it because I had just gotten back from school. And what did you think when she went over to the Bernie side of the room? First I thought, you live in my house. you got to go by my rules. <laughs> But no, really, I said I was really proud that she would look at what the issues that were important to her and her generation and and think about what she felt were of value to her and that in a candidate and that she did some research and that she made a choice based upon her own personal values. And you made a choice, too. Why Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders? Um, I just... I felt like I work in the federal government, so I felt like some of the things that Bernie talked about I didn't believe could actually happen. 
Let me ask a, a question of one more Bernie supporter, because I know there were more hands up. So my name is Blanca Trejo. I'm a graduate student or about to enter graduate school at CU Boulder in the fall. And I understand the, that you're the first in your family to go to college? Yeah, to graduate. I graduated in 2010 um, from the University of Denver. Uh, and I'm first generation to be born on this side of the U.S.-Mexico border. So Marlene was talking about how her she you know, didn't feel like Bernie Sanders' ideas were feasible or practical. And I would say that that's exactly what motivated me to vote for Bernie. I would have conversations with Hillary supporters and they would discuss practicality and they would discuss, you know, reasonability or, or let's take things slowly, let's kind of do things incrementally. Uh, and as someone who's been a community activist for about 14 years now, since I was 15 years old, it's been critical for me to push things forward uh, while the opposition is pushing in the other direction. Uh, and I think those out-of-the-box ideas, these very radical, seemingly radical ideas... For uh, ideas like what? Let's get specific. Like you just three, you just graduated like yeah you just graduated college I'm guessing with some debt maybe fortunately no fortunately okay. I was one of the you know few and lucky ones that was able to get out of undergraduate debt free from scholarships however many of my friends are not and that's not the case and so like one of the ideas that Bernie Sanders had thrown out there was this idea of free college. If you're just joining us, we're on the road visiting a new Mexican restaurant in North Denver where we met about 20 Latinas, mostly Democrats, to talk about the presidential election. You know, there's some Latina Republicans who believe small business owners will be particularly open to conservative messages around low taxes, small government, replacing the Affordable Care Act. Do any of you own your own businesses? And would you respond to that idea? Yes. (laughs) Tell me about yourself. Um, my name is Adrian Norris, and I currently live in Lyons, but I've been in Denver for about 11 years now. I'm an artist, and I'm actually an immigrant. I was born in Barbados. My whole family is from there, and I moved to the United States in 1985. And you own a small business? I do. What is that business? Uh, it's called Afro Triangle Designs, and basically I do custom watercolor portraits, and I have like several series of paintings that I'm doing. And tell me about this idea that small business might benefit from a more conservative administration. It's an interesting thing for me to kind of think about because, you know, on the one hand, the more I learn about business, the more I learn about how much tax we actually have to pay, especially with sales tax and that kind of thing, the more daunting that becomes. And so it definitely is appealing to me to pay fewer taxes. But that being said, when it comes to other conservative ideals, um, I find that they don't really align with who I am and what I'm about like as what? an individual. I find that a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that comes out of you know the mouths of conservatives uh, tend to be, if not completely bigoted, at least very narrow-minded um, when it comes to the actual realities of individuals who are lower income, who are of minority status, who are of immigration status, really not seeing the full picture of who we are and what we're all about. Hi, my, uh, this is Virginia Ortiz. My husband has a small business. He does uh, residential and commercial remodeling. And we both understand that what we do must be about the greater good. And so when we are confronted with higher taxes, We go, okay, but that's how we have the services we have. That's how people who do not have the resources and the luxuries that we have, that's how they 
are able to provide for themselves and, and, and sustain their lives. And so for But do you have faith that the government is using that money to the best of its ability? I do. I do. I completely support the Affordable Care Act in Colorado. We have been able to provide health care for so many kids that have not had access to high quality and affordable health care. Um, and it, the, it, while the conservatives would continue to want to repeal the Affordable Care Act, what I say is that we have an obligation to future generations to make sure that they have access to high-quality health care. I'm a mother of two teenage girls, and, you know, they have taught me so much about the greater good, what Virginia was telling me, is just serve the community. It doesn't matter. It's, you don't need to blame yourself for having money, for having things that you work for, but also how you are going to share them and help others. We don't care to pay so much taxes if that money is going to ha- uh, work for services for others. Is that inherently a Latino value, or is that just a human value? What would you say? Leslie Leon, it should be a human value, you know. And I, I, it's, again, trying to pigeonhole in, oh, you are this little population, the minority, and that's the same thing like with environmental concerns. If you see someone who needs help and you can help them, even if it's a little bit, why wouldn't you? And that comes also for taxes, you know. I am an immigrant. I'm not a millionaire or anything, but I have a pretty good life, a very blessed life here. And everybody complains. Something that I have learned about my new country is Americans, what they hate the most is their taxes. That's their sensitive point. And I don't mind paying taxes. I'm, I gladly pay for what this country is giving me. Many of you don't know what it is to go to school, to come home and do your homework with a candle. You're from to, Peru. I'm from Peru. To bathe yourself, you know, with a little bucket of water. You know, count your blessings that you can pay your taxes and we have good roads. You know, that we have a security. You don't know what it is to live with the lightning path, like with the shining path like we had in Peru. The Sendero Luminoso. The Sendero Luminoso. Which is something of a domestic yeah. terror group. Exactly. So, gladly I pay. We are at Tamales by La Casita, a cafe in North Denver, to talk about the election with a group of Latinas. This group has met on Fridays for 25 years to network and socialize. They call it a cafecito. After a break, these women respond to a conservative Latina we interviewed last fall who says political turmoil in Latin America has convinced her that small government is better. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. We've come to a tamale shop in North Denver, where about 20 Latinas, mostly Democrats, gathered to talk about the presidential election. CPR News is focused on Latino voters this year because they're a growing part of Colorado's electorate, and the political parties are working hard to recruit them. We talked with a group of Latinas who identify as conservative when the GOP presidential candidates debated in Boulder last fall. And one of them, Pauline Olvera, explained her conservatism as being closely tied to her heritage. I believe that Republican principles are the best principles for everybody, Latinos and um, Americans in general, because I really believe that bigger government involved in a person's life is more constraining 
it stops them from their individual liberty. And honestly, it's not much different than the countries our families escaped. Um, if you look at where our families came from, they came from countries where the government was involved in every aspect of their lives, and they left those countries. <laughs> I came from Mexico. I was born and raised there in Mexico City. I studied in a school with American nuns. Many of these people that they talk like that, they have been here for many, many generations. They haven't come back. So they don't know what is really happening. In Mexico, for example, even people who are very, very poor, when they see somebody that is starving, they give them a taco. They're helping them. The government there organizes concerts, organizes things, so everybody can go and enjoy. They have a lot of cultural events that are free. Many of our education is free. It may not be the best, but healthcare is free. And one more thing that I want to tell you. I don't know why when we say we care about nature, about studying, about being better, it is just suddenly that that Latinos want to be something different. We have always cared about education. We have always cared about nature. Nobody has to study us like a group, like if we are animal in the zoo or something. We are people, and we have always have those goals. For example, in my case, when I came here, I discovered that I was a brown person, that I needed to fight for having a better education, that I was so stereotyped, and that was limiting my options. Do others feel stereotyped? Does that resonate with people, that idea? I guess what I want to know from you is that CPR News is focusing on Latino voters this election year, in part because this segment of the electorate has grown year after year and is projected to continue to do so. And campaigns and political parties have specific Latino outreach arms with both conservatives and liberals feeling like they have an opportunity to win support. What do you think of this term, the Latino vote, Is it a stereotyping term? Is it one that helps us understand a community better? I very clearly believe that Latinos represent, in Colorado, the margin of victory. Julie Gonzalez is eager to answer. She identifies herself as a longtime immigrant rights activist. And so we've seen it time and time again that politicians demagogue our communities. Politicians paint all of our communities with one brush that we only care about uh, immigration or that we are all rapists and terrorists. That is messaging that will not win our votes. And what do you do for a living, may I ask? I'm actually, this year, because of the importance of this election, I got involved with the Bernie campaign this year Mm. to try to turn out as many voters, you know, to to, to get out and vote and to help our communities win. I want to ask you about tactics that campaigns use, and in particular the idea of pandering. Um, Neither of the major presidential candidates are Latino. Neither are the Senate candidates in Colorado. Uh, But Hillary Clinton in particular has been accused of pandering to Latinos. She got the most attention for a campaign called Seven Ways Hillary Clinton is Just Like Your Abuela. Uh, On on Twitter, and there's laughter at this, uh, on Twitter the hashtag NotMyAbuela took off. Were were you aware of that campaign, and what did you think of her efforts? Again, this is the Democratic side with it. I think that every single politician up and down the ticket in Colorado recognizes that Latinos are going to be 
um, an important demographic to pay attention to and to outreach to. And I think that... But are they doing it in a respectful way? I think that some candidates are. Holly Baca. You know, I really resent anyone suggesting that Hillary has been pandering. You know, certainly anyone who's been working with our kids has been out there helping us and helping our kids and our families ought not to be accused of being recently on board. Have you recorded a TV ad for her yet, Holly? (laughs) I'd love to do so. (laughs) (laughs) I want to wrap up with the question of turnout because, uh, yes, the Latino vote is growing, but that assumes that Latinos vote. In your lives, are there people who don't plan to vote, who haven't voted in past elections, and with whom you're having conversations to encourage to get to the polls? Who'd like to address that? So my name is Blanca Trejo, uh, and I've been very passionate about politics and political science issues since I was, like, 12. And growing up, I had a lot of friends who would tell me, like, oh, Blanca, shut up already. You know, just, I'm done with you talking about politics. I'm not even going to vote. Um, I continue to work with young people now and students who are just turning 18. And what I've noticed as a major difference between when I was in high school and the high school students that I work with now is anger. Uh, anger driven to go to the polls. Uh, and I think actually for all that Trump is, I have to take off my hat and, you know, saludarlo and kind of give him thanks for riling up these young people um, because they have such an appetite and a motivation to actually get registered. I don't know how many times working in the schools that I worked with in this metro area this past year, there was somebody registering students to vote. At back to school nights, there was Mi Familia Vota, there was all of these groups in the high schools and students were actively going up and saying, I want to register, right? Or, hey, my mom hasn't registered. Those, that type of motivation. So although I believe that in pre- previous years I heard a lot more, I'm not going to vote, my voice doesn't matter. I think the, the, tr- what Trump has done is really motivated people to say, ya basta, enough is enough. I work with a lot of students who are unable to vote, right? Our undocumented community or our permanent residents that don't have citizenship are not able to vote this year. But I cannot tell you how many times one of my students has posted on Facebook, I can't vote, so please vote for me, yeah. or, right? Or be my voice. And so what I'm seeing in a way that I've not seen in previous elections is that even if someone is unable to vote themselves, they're actively posting and putting up this message, vote, get out the vote, because your vote will impact my future. Thanks to everyone for being with us. Blanca Trejo is one of about 20 women we spoke with at Tamales by La Casita in North Denver. They meet regularly for a cafecito, some networking and socializing over coffee. And our focus on Latino voters continues through the election. Find links to other stories, including our conversation with a group of conservatives and profiles of groups on the right and left trying to woo Latinos at CPRnews.org. And join the conversation. What do you think of what you just heard? Chime in on our Facebook page, CPR News. Let's hear your comments on previous stories now in Loud and Clear. 
Last week, I spoke with Republican U.S. Senate candidate Daryl Glenn. He had just clinched his party's nomination here. Lynn Cromar of Loveland emailed afterwards, quote, Swing vote swung. As a passionate, unaffiliated voter, I had a visceral reaction to Daryl Glenn. While I deeply respect his Air Force service, small campaigning budget, constitutional protection, and small business background, I found that his engagement with Ryan Warner was divisive and at times rude. Sometime between his views on the Trump-Mexican wall and climate change, Mr. Glenn lost my vote. Thank you for deep, comprehensive journalism on issues that matter to my family and to Colorado. Starzan Williams of Denver wrote at CPRnews.org, I caught the interview after it had begun, so I didn't immediately know who Glenn was, but I was struck by how he not only avoided directly answering questions, but also how argumentative he was. Before the Western Conservative Summit in Denver last week, I talked with organizer Jeff Hunt from the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Hunt supports the presumptive Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump because he says he'd allow him to practice his faith more than the presumptive Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton. That irked listener Phil Smith of Thornton, who emailed, quote, That's a pretty inflammatory statement, especially considering that Hillary is a committed Christian and Trump's numerous marriages. But the interviewer failed to even ask the question any Journalism 101 student should think to ask. Sir, that seems like a pretty extreme statement. In exactly what way would Hillary Clinton as president prevent you from practicing your religion? Interviews like this are killing our democracy, Smith said. In defense of the segment, our guests did spell out the kinds of cases from the current Democratic president that concern him as an evangelical. With Hillary Clinton, we have serious concerns around religious liberty issues. Look at what evangelicals had to face with the Obama administration, where it was lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit to be able to practice our faith. The Hobby Lobby decision, the Little Sisters of the Poor decision, Colorado Christian University is now dealing with Title IX exemptions. That's the next thing that's coming down. So... Does Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump better allow evangelicals to practice their faith? I I think it's pretty clear that Donald Trump does that. We received a few comments after our interview last week with two men who train citizens what to do if there's an active shooter. David Dunda and Justin Baumgartner are with Centennial-based Rapid Response Emergency Systems. Baumgartner told us three words to remember. Run, hide, and if you must, fight. And this isn't a linear system of run if that doesn't work, hide if that doesn't work, fight. It's if I can run, fantastic. Or if I am hiding and then there's an opportunity to run, hey, I'm going to shift that way. If I run into a violent encounter and I have no other choice but to engage in a uh, physical altercation, I have to fight for my life. Megan McGuire of Denver thought the reporting was, quote, nothing but ridiculous fear-mongering and irresponsible. In an email, she wrote the chances of getting shot in a mass incident in the U.S. remain highly unlikely. While we did note that having an active shooter in your workplace is rare, we didn't provide the numbers. So here they are, care of the FBI. There are on average 11.4 active shooter incidents annually, with 70% occurring in either a commerce, business, or educational environment. And the day after our interview aired, a man walked into a downtown Denver office building and shot his estranged wife, then shot himself. 
Finally, Ben McKee heard our interview Wednesday about the Heritage Diversity Project from History Colorado, an effort to tell more diverse stories from the state's past. McKee tweeted, more of this, History Colorado, and less of the awkward family photos type exhibits in your halls. Pretty please. He's referencing a show on now that highlights odd family pictures. If you think what we do is awkward or spot on, let us know. Email us by clicking contact at the top of cprnews.org or comment beneath articles there. We are at Colorado Matters on Twitter and CPR News on Facebook. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. A cassette tape of Irish drinking songs led Denver musician Adam Goldstein's love affair with Celtic music. He and two other musicians started the band Avornine. There's a nice sweet lass and her name's Mary Mac. Make no mistake, she's the miss I'm going to attack. There's an awful lot of bells that would get up on her track, but I'm thinking that they'll have to get up early. A Mary Mac's father's making Mary Mac marry me. My father's making me marry Mary Mac. I'm going to marry Mary for my Mary to take care of me. Well, I'll be making Mary when I marry Mary Mac. I wrote another dilly idle dilly idle dum. This week last year. Avornine was the house band at the now shuttered Katie Mullins Irish restaurant and pub in Denver. They'll perform Saturday at the Colorado Irish Festival in Littleton. Goldstein spoke with Nathan Heffel back in March. Welcome to the program, Adam. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I understand you and your bandmates, violinist C.L. Morden and multi-instrumentalist Eric Parker, don't have direct ties uh, to Irish folk music, but all three of you are longtime musicians and have really connected with the traditions and style of this genre. What makes it so um, compelling to you? That's true. Uh, I myself, I'm a rare Colorado native. I grew up in Aurora. Uh, and for me personally... Um, You mentioned the cassette that I found when I was right out of high school. It was an anonymous cassette. No artists were credited. It was just a random recording in some Irish pub, unnamed. And from the first time I heard it, it just felt right. It felt like something uh, that was natural and it made sense. And um, speaking for the other members of the band, C uh, is from Northern California. Uh, and she comes from a background uh, with a, a father that played a lot of Celtic music. Okay. So that came from childhood. And Eric uh, majored in jazz at Lamont School of Music, and he's a saxophone player. But he found Flogging Molly when he was in high school, and it just went from there. So I think for all of us, it was just a very natural kind of attraction and love for the music that stemmed deep from an, our DNA, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so so does does the band identify more with Celtic music or, or, or Irish folk music? I mean, because I, I know there is a difference between the two. There is a difference, and at our core, it's more Irish than anything else. Okay. Most of the standards that we play are Irish. Most of the ballads that I sing are Irish, but. With Celtic music, uh, a lot of stuff comes into play, and there's a lot of cross-pollination, as it were. So we play some Scottish songs. Okay. Uh, we even play some polkas. There's some Breton stuff that goes in there. There's some uh, – not a lot of Welsh stuff, but some early New England folk music that was directly impacted by those traditions and started to morph once it crossed the ocean. So most of the songs on Beloved are standards. Yes. Uh, there is one original track on it, though. Uh, it's called Iman. Lost and alone, awaiting the day when we meet again. I remember the sound of your soft, dulcet tones with the smell 
above your hair as it blew in the wind. You call the song a, a tearjerker, uh, and you wrote it when you were around 19, right? Right. So what made you revisit it for this album? So the basic melody uh, is an old Irish air, and it was sung in Gaelic. And I, Gaelic is a very difficult language to learn on many levels. I mean, people have a, enough of a difficult time pronouncing the name of our band. <laughs> uh, so I wrote lyrics when I was 18 or 19 because I just thought the melody was so gorgeous. And then when we started the band, uh, it was just something that I brought up during one of our jam sessions. C took to it very quickly. Uh, when Eric came in with a flute, we just thought it was perfect instrumentation. And it was, for us, the ideal way to kind of bridge old tradition with what we were trying to do. Uh, and it, per- it really did serve as a perfect transition because since the album came out, we've been really working on writing more originals that take that same tack, fusing tradition with sounds that we want to incorporate that represent our background, our, our status as Americans, our status as fans of a whole host of different genres. So it was really kind of the kickoff to what I see as our continuing musical mission, as it were. We don't want to forget about the the standards and, and how they seem to tell these very, very rich stories, these historical stories. You know, For example, uh, the song Eileen Oak. It doesn't sound like it, you know, it's kind of upbeat, but you've, mm-hmm. my heart is growing gray ever since the day you wandered far away. I mean, that sounds like heartbreak it, I, to me. I love that song so much. And that was a song that I discovered when I was 21 living in, in France when mm-hmm. I learned a lot of these songs. And I love it so much because it does pair that epic poetic kind of heartbreak uh, with this bouncy, jaunty feel. And Percy French, who wrote that song, I mean, the the words are just so lyrical and uh, get to me so much. Um, There's good fish in the sea, but there's no one like the pride of Petrovor. It just rolls off with this kind of poetry that uh, has kept me obsessed for for two decades. So, So what's the ultimate goal here. Uh, Do you hope to hear your band on a pop or mainstream radio station someday? Is that your goal? I always joke that we play music that isn't necessarily going to break into the top 10 pop hits along with Justin Bieber and uh, those kind of (laughs) artists. Katy Perry. Right, right. You know, but ultimately, I would really love to bring more awareness here to this kind of music and uh, expose people where I'm from to the tradition and just how entrancing and vibrant and really uh, uh, fascinating this music can be. And the other part of it is that I would love to find a way to get us all back to Ireland as often as possible. <laughs> well, you and Violin C- uh, CL did tour yes. uh, Ireland, right? And, yeah. and while you were there, we performed uh, one of the songs called Easy and Slow in, in a pub there. And, and I want to wrap up on, on, on that tune. Uh, you say it was one of the highest points of your life. And, and while we listen briefly, tell me wh- what happened there. So we had we had rented a car and we were driving all around the country. We tried to fit in as much as possible in two weeks. We went to this little tiny town in Clare called Doolin, which was reputed to have the best music. Everywhere we went, they saw our instruments and they said, you have to go to Doolin, you have to go to Doolin. And it was this town, I think during the winter, the population is maybe 500 people, 600 people. 
I may be wrong, but it's a very small town. And we went in uh, to a pub. They saw we had instruments. They all encouraged us to come up and sit down. Uh, and I sat down and I sang this song with uh, these Irish musicians. And they were silent and respectful and they let me sing the whole thing. And one of the women said that this was the best rendition of the tune that she'd ever heard. And I almost broke into tears at that moment. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. came from Dungannon would bring her back home in the sweet by and by. And what's it to any man? Adam Goldstein from the Denver Celtic band Avornia. You're hearing the track Easy and Slow. You can hear the trio Saturday at the Colorado Irish Festival in Littleton. Rachel Astorbrook is our managing producer, and thanks to audio engineer Matt Hers. I'm Ryan Warner. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Thomas Street, down by the Liffey, the sun had gone down, and the east.